Grammy Award-winning producer, keyboardist, composer, arranger and synthesist Jason Miles is the special guest on episode 14, season 2 of Music Matters with Daryl Craig Harris. Hey Jason, how you doing today? I'm doing really good. Where, where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from uh, Orange County, New York, 50 miles north of uh, New York City in the Hudson Valley. Oh, it's beautiful up there. Gorgeous. So you're originally, um, you're originally from Brooklyn way back when, right? Way back when. Yes. I mean, you know, I keep on saying this, you know, that I, I, I can never forget being in school and, and looking and seeing, you know, I, I had this almanac and I looked and I, and, and I was there and I said, wow. In the year 2000, I'm going to be like 49 years old. Oh, my God. I did exactly the same thing. <laughs> and then I, said, I, said, I said, oh, my God, you know, now here we are 2021. And, right. you know, life has come to look at me. And I've looked at life in a whole other way now because, you know, uh, um, I look back at, at everything and I say, man, I am just fortunate and lucky and you know, it didn't come by luck. It, but things you, you always have to have a little luck, you know. But I, yeah. but I mean, everything that I have is a culmination of like where I came from, I believe. Because you know, growing up in Brooklyn, but back then in the '60s and everything, I saw some incredible music, man. I mean, yeah, I oh my god! I mean, it, it was hybrid. You know, anybody? I was a hybrid. I loved jazz. I loved rock. You know what I mean? Like I loved Motown also. You know, and uh, and I got into all of them. You know, I'd go to the Fillmore East and I, I, then I go to a jazz club. Then I studied jazz with a great teacher. Then, you know, uh, uh, then I, of course, listening to the radio and, you know, going to all the clubs in the city and then playing in bands. I mean, it was a very heady time. You know, I spent summers in the Borscht Belt in, in uh, you know, the hotels, you know what I mean? Uh, getting initiated yeah. in life. So, I mean, you know, I mean, there's so many, so many great players from that area too, right? It's like, oh, a, yeah. it's amazing how many guys came out of that, out of that, that, that kind of stew of creativity and music. Oh, but well, where, where, where my neighborhood was in Brooklyn, you can't even believe how many amazing people came out of it, you know, from, from Bernie Sanders to Chuck Schumer, Barbara Streisand, you know, uh, uh, Neil, Neil Sedaka, Neil Diamond. You know, uh, I know it's crazy. You know, all these all these people are, are from Brooklyn, but then you get some great set, jazz musicians, Dave Liebman and Steve Grossman and Bob Berg, and you know some really amazing people that just came up. You know, back then it, I, it was it, it was just I, I don't know, very very heady. Although you didn't realize it at the time, because all I wanted to do was get the hell out of high school. You know. <laughs> yeah, you just try to try to get to the next step. Exactly. Right? And when did you when did you first um, get interested in music and start playing? Well, like seven years old. Wow, you know I played accordion. Awesome. Did, and, did, and you did you take uh, lessons yes, from the beginning, yes, or were you yes, just, you know? yes, took lessons from the very beginning, and uh, you know then I stopped because I, I was like really turned off, you know, trying to do academia and everything, you know, and then so my education came when I was in college. My girlfriend, who's now my wife, uh, she, we used to live in a trailer, and right down the road was the Columbia Record Clubs. So she got out of school. Oh, yeah. She got out of school a year earlier than me. So she went to work at the Columbia Record Club, which was a huge warehouse, humongous warehouse. Like I a, think I was, I stole the money. <laughs> like well, yeah, like a, like like an airplane hangar. It was, you know what I mean. And um, and what happened was that every month, the beginning of the month, they'd have an employee sale where they'd get rid of all the excess that they had there and everything. 
And so I wow. would, so I, so, so she was able to get a pass. So I went there like eight o'clock in the morning, waited online, had a $20 bill with me. The albums were a dollar a piece. And I'd come Crazy. back with like my, my, I would come back with my month's worth of listening. Some months I came back with more, but I mean, hell, I, I got bitches brew there and I got, you yeah. know, all these great albums because, because I'm in Indiana, everybody was looking for country music and some people looking for rock. You know, so the jazz section yeah. and the classical section, everything was always empty. I could pick up whatever I, I bought. I, I have like 75 CTI records, you know, from back then, you know. Funny. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I mean, that, that that's that, that was a great actually that, that it's funny because people make fun of that CBS record club. But a lot of people got got were able to listen to music that oh, they would not have normally absolutely. would not normally yeah, have. To, totally. Correct. I, I don't know if you know, you, you know, you know, who the Cohen brothers are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Coen yeah. brothers made this movie called A Serious Man. And uh, it's a wonderful movie. It's about these Jewish people that are living in Minnesota and everything. And, you know, the kids are like, you know, just real like, you know, he's like a, uh, well, he's like just like a, a you know, like a, a, a junior high school kid getting ready to be bar mitzvah. who's a real freaking pain in the ass. You know what I mean? And so what he, <laughs> so what yeah. he does is he ends up ordering stuff from the Columbia Record Club without telling his parents. I did the same thing. <laughs> and, 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 and one day the guy calls up, you know, the, the guy, the guy's trying to get a hold of uh, the father, you know, he goes, you know, hi, who's, you know, and he's a professor in college. So they're calling him in college. Hi, this is Dick Dutton from Columbia Record Club. Yes. Did you order Santana Abraxas last month? You know, and it was a Sorry. whole scene. It was, it, it was, it was, it was really, really, really interesting. Sir, is that bitch's brew album yours? Yes, exactly. <laughs> actually, eight, probably maybe an eight track. I, I had eight tracks. Me like, too. I had uh, eight tracks also. I had all that shit, man. You know, I mean, really, yeah. if, if you had eight tracks now that worked, it'd be worth a lot of money. I don't know why. Right? Yeah. I don't know why, because they were like the, the ultimate doom and gloom, uh, you know, product to use, you know, it's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, so where, where did you go to school at college? I, I, you went, I went to school at Indiana State University. I was going awesome. to I was going to go to music school. And uh, there were some things that were totally messed up in my world with my family and my grandmother died. My father had a heart attack, blah, blah, blah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and, and I was supposed to stay in New York and everything like that. You know, and I went to Indiana. I got in there right mm. at the end of the semester because I couldn't get in. That's a great school. school, you know. Yeah. So what happened was that I, I was in Terre Haute, Indiana, and uh, I met, you know, a lot of people there. And I, I that was my education in music because I'd sit in my 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 trailer when we weren't in, uh, you know, doing stuff or going to school, and I'd listen to albums mm -hmm. all day. And the albums yeah. all had album credits. You know what I mean? So when I came back to right. New, when I came back to New York and I met these musicians, I knew what they had done already. And that really impressed yeah, yeah, that really impressed people because, you know, yeah. I, I'd go up to like, uh, um, uh, you know, my first night in New York, uh, my second night in New York, my cousin's boyfriend played one of the famous New York studio musicians. His name was Don Grolnick. And so I went yeah. and I saw them play at this club called McKell's on the Upper West Side. And I met like Will Lee and David Sanborn, who I had seen play right. with Paul Butterfield for years, you know. And then I saw, you know, Will Lee and, and uh, Chris Parker, Joe Beck and Don, you know. And so I grew up, oh, you know, oh, man, I can't believe I'm meeting you. Thank you. I love the way you played on so-and-so. Really? Oh, my God. I love that. You know, they were like, wow, yeah. this, this guy's really, you know, knows, knows his stuff, you know. And, yeah, educated well, about the, and, the and, players. And then yeah. when I was there, about three weeks later, we went and we saw a weather report at this club in New mm -hmm. Jersey that was in the middle of nowhere and there was no gas and we managed to get some gas and go down there. And it was really, really a crazy night. The place was packed, but we didn't realize it was packed because it was a pickup place. 
And once Weather Report came on, everybody left. Everybody <laughs> left. And, and that night I got to meet Joe Zavinal and awesome. we, we became friends for 30 years after that. You wow. know? And I had to prove myself to him because I was nobody when he met me, but he liked where I was coming from as far as my knowledge of synthesizing keyboards. Remember back then, not yeah. everybody could talk about this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that, that's actually a big part of your background is programming and yes, synthesizers. Yes, and, yes yeah. of course. But see, that's the whole thing that's so interesting now. You know, people look at me, it's like, you know, well, you know, yes, you're a producer and everything. Like, Let me ask something. Do you know about the 15 years that I spent in the studios in New York and L.A. and making records from like 1979 to 1994? I didn't stop working. I, right. I just went out on my own, you know. And, yeah. and, you know, and that was a magic, really magic time. Uh, a, lot, a lot of great stuff going oh, on. Yeah. Well, what was magic was the technology was making it magic because it was so right. fresh and new. We were always being thrown some curveball by some company releasing something that, oh, I had to get this and I had to get this. And, but it enhanced the music. <laughs> I think what made a big right. difference, what, what made a big difference was that I didn't use all the generic stuff that everybody else used. I had like a PPG mm -hmm. Wave 2.3 and and I had right. I had an emulator too, and I had a Matrix 12 by Oberheim, and uh, yeah. you know, and, and then I had other stuff also. And um, you know, I, I mean, I, the thing is too, like when you talk about people like Michael Jackson or Whitney Houston, all those folks, like those those guys, those producers, they want, or even if you're producing, but you want the most current, up to date oh. sound, and oh. it's not cheap to do that oh, either. It's <laughs> it's back, like back then, or back then, it wasn't. But you know, I mean, yeah. when I really started getting into the flow, these people were paying me very well very well right. and so you know i kept my vibe up and everything because number one it was important to me also because i wanted the instruments i wanted to get the most out of right. them as well even though i'm working with people i'm also writing on the side and i'm doing stuff but i was always so busy yeah. because different producers would like want me for this and want me for that then they want me for this and i would go there and then i would be you know so i mean doing mm -hmm. my own my own music was kind of hard to um you know, uh, how, how did you really, because um, at that point, well, it's even still, this, the studio scene is so competitive. How did you first really break in? Was that your connection with Joe or just no, meeting the players? No, 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 what happened was that, I, you know, we used to go to see a lot of different music, you know, mm. and, uh, and, and, this, and when I met Joe, I met the percussionist at Weather Report and we started hanging and, and he started introducing me to people. And I was really into the, like the whole thing. I learned a lot about Brazilian music because he was Brazilian. Right. And I met all these different musicians, you know, all over the place. And, you know, I wasn't into like playing bebop and everything. And everybody was like really criticizing me. Oh, you're not playing the changes, man, all this other stuff. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but, but, but what happened was, you know, uh, one of the things that happened was that there was a great keyboard player named Kenny Kirkland. And he was an amazing piano yeah. player. And, and I knew Kenny, you know, I met him like early on. And so, you know, we would always be joking around and I met him and he was a monster and he was playing with Michael Urbaniak and different people. And so, yep. and so one day after, I guess it was in 19, I think 79 or 80 it was, um, you know, he was doing a record date for this Japanese vibe and he wanted to know if I would bring synthesizers to the studio because that's what they wanted, but he wasn't, a, he didn't know how huh? to program them. So I went to this. Yeah, because most of the most of the jazz bebop guys, no, they weren't no, ever really no. straight up piano no, players. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But but Kenny had another thing. He knew how to be contemporary as well, just like Chick Korea. Mm -hmm. Kenny knew how to go yeah. and get into the mini move and get into that whole thing, you know. And so what happened mm -hmm. was that uh, I went and did the date, and it went great. You know what I mean? But well, because because Kenny was like playing this brilliant shit, and I was programming these great sounds on the Prophet, you know, and, yeah. and, and it was sounding great. And Kenny goes, "Man, we got to do this again and everything." Instead of realizing, you know, well, you know, if I'm awesome. just cool. And not like telling people, I got to play, I got to do this. I'll go up there and I'll program for them. 
you know, because right. because that's what's needed. You still work. You're you're working and you're learning yeah. and you're meeting well, people. Please. It's all it's all good, right? Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's what that was needed for me. And so what basically yeah. happened was that was that a great saxophone player, um, one of the best in the world, Michael Brecker. He right. he he was a friend of mine, and he and we after he got out of rehab and everything in the early '80s, we rehooked up again. And by then, MIDI was happening and everything, and he really wanted to get into it. So I bumped into him one night at a sushi bar in New York with Kathy. It was empty, and we hadn't seen him in a while. And all of a sudden, you know, he was at a place where he couldn't hang out in the same crowd anymore. You know, he right. had to go in, yeah. and, and and then he was totally into the music, and he knew that I was doing. So we were hanging out a lot, you know, with, with Mike, awesome. and I go, and we would. You know, and he played on some stuff for me and everything. And he also gave me a, a super big lesson because the first project that I had, I, I asked him to play on it and I, I didn't have a good chart for him. And he really called me out, man. Really called me out. It was embarrassing, <laughs> but he wanted to embarrass now me. Listen, kid. Exactly. So I went yeah. back and I learned all about, you know, the charts you need to write for the New York Cats and how to do this and how to right. do that. And when I came back, he goes, man, you can make it, man, because you're listening. You're listening, you know? And so, yeah. and, and so what happened was that Mike was telling different people about me you know, and certain people started calling me like, hey, we want to get you in the studio and everything. This is like this is the mid 80s. And right. so what happened was that and I've been doing dates, but I hadn't been doing like the super A level. You know what I mean? by Yeah, because there's multiple multiple levels. Yeah, yeah, of that, exactly. there's, there's so much competition. Exactly. Right? exactly. So what happened was that, uh, you know, I'm at this club one day and uh, he's, everybody was going to Europe in a couple of days to do festivals. And they invited me right. down. So Mike invited me some hanging. And the next thing I'm sitting at a table and this great drummer walks over to me, Lenny White from a return right. to forever. And I had seen Mike talk to him before that. So anyway, Lenny came over to me and said to me, Hey, uh, you know, man, I said, Oh, Lenny white, man. And he goes to me, who's your favorite <laughs> producer? And I'm going, Oh, that's a snap Trevor Horn. And he goes, Oh, yeah. we are definitely going to work together because he was totally, <laughs> yeah, he was cool. totally into art of awesome. noise. You know what I mean? And I was, yeah. into art of noise. Yeah. I was very early on. And like, you know, in like the whole sampling thing, I realized the beauty of a Malcolm McLaren and Buffalo Girls and scratching and right. everything. Even though I was listening to all these other kind of things, I was still very hybrid. I could go home and put right. on Everybody Digs Bill Evans. And at the same point, we can go home and listen to Nubian Sundance by Weather Report or Bitches Brew. <laughs> right. And I could also yeah. put on Hendrix or something like that because we, we loved all of this stuff, you know? Right. So, so then one day, all of a sudden, you know, about six months later, Lenny calls me and says, hey, man, you heard from Marcus? And I go, no, because I had to use Marcus on my very first album. It's long, long story okay. about that. So anyway, what happened was right. that, you know, I said, no. And he goes, well, we're doing something tomorrow, man. You know, you should hear him. I'll call him. But I couldn't get a hold of him for like four hours because his phone was busy and there's no call waiting in 1984. Yeah, there's, you know? no, there's no pager or cell phones. <laughs> right, right, exactly. No pages, no cell phones, no, hardly even any answering machines, you know. So, right. So yeah. what happened? So what happened was that the next morning, Marcus called me like really early. Hey, man, you come to the studio and bring some synthesizers, man. We're doing this thing. I go, yeah, I will. So I brought the coolest shit with me. I brought the wave and the wave term and, and all this right. other stuff. And so we started working on it and everything. And from that day in 1985, for 10 years, Marcus and I were like a team. You yeah. know, I was part he's a great, you know, I, I love Marcus because he's he's a, like a really cool dude. Like, obviously, he's he's very well known. But what I like about him is that he's very down to earth. He's he's a good guy. Like, he's just a good guy. Great player, obviously. And in that time period, he was so connected as you were with all those guys, all the A-list guys oh, yeah. right in but New that, York. That, he's doing tons of stuff, you know, because, yeah. you know, uh, because I said, well, you know, I can send you some of the stuff I, I'm doing. You know, so it says, hey, man, you, you're working with Marcus, man. You got to be good, you know. And and we were like <laughs> yeah. we, we were like ninjas, man. We were lethal, Marcus and I. We would go into the room, and man, 
you know, he'd had the song together and we go and we start building up the song and everything like that. And people would look at us going, man, you guys are too much, man. You know, that's why Roberta loved us. <laughs> Roberta Flack loved us. Luther, I did eight albums with Luther, you know, right. Miles, of course, you know, he introduced me to Miles, you know, and. Uh, yeah, your, your, dis your discography, like, you know, um, I was talking to our mutual friend, Nigel from, from uh, uh -huh. Jazz in Europe. And he's like, man, you got to talk to Jason. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. Yeah, let me check out the discography. And I'm like looking at this going, wow, that's everything I love. All that music, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, the Luther stuff, Grover Washington Jr., yeah. Whitney, Michael Jackson. I mean, like, it's the list is is but, so crazy. But, but at the same point, you know, that's not what the path I wanted to take. You know, yeah, I didn't want to. Well, life had life has a way of, of choosing well, for you. <laughs> but the whole thing is, at that point that that was happening, I was starting to get some production things going on, and so what okay. happened was that I said, you know, man, I could go and I could take two roads. I can go this road and say no, or I can go that road and take that ride. And I decided right. I'm going to take that ride, man, because I'm going to meet a lot of people. If everything goes okay, and I just keep the level of my work up. And then, you know, when we yeah. did the miles, we did some stuff that was going really well. And we did David Sanborn, and that was cool. And we did his album, Jamaica Boys, and some other stuff. But then when we did miles, the whole paradigm changed. Because, you know, and Miles is, it's interesting too, not to cut you off. No, like, ahead, it's interesting with Miles, Miles and Chick Korea, because, you know, I've interviewed a lot of guys that, um, that we both maturely know. Um, and, the, that that connection between Miles and Chick Corea, how many amazing players came through those bands? Oh. Like, it's just a, it's, it's such a long list. It's crazy, oh. right? Well, Miles was a genius. But the whole thing is, you know, yeah. how did how did how did Miles learn about all these people? Other people told him, you know, right. everybody, that's what the whole thing you didn't realize. You can send something out to somebody, press kits, CDs, all of this stuff. man. But until you start getting word of mouth. It's really yeah. hard because somebody wants to know who used you first. What did you do before this? You know, like when I met Miles, you know, he was just like looking, but then he started seeing it. He had no idea how I did what he did, what, what I did. All, all he knew was that what was happening on those on that tape was magic. Right. And, you know, and we were we were we were creating that. I mean, you know, and there were no rules when we were doing Tutu. There were no rules, really. Yeah. And it's funny because on the Miles record, you can hear him directing the band. Especially on Bitches Brew, especially if you listen to an right. MP3, because yeah. it comes through much more in an MP3 with the compression. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. but Miles was always like, you know, he never said anything because he didn't understand you know, how to do hey, what happened. And so Marcus would say, you know, well, I'm here with Jason, man. What would you, did you hear? Do you have anything that you kind of like hearing that you want to do? Well, I want something in that part and everything. Really? What are you hearing? Something that nobody's ever heard before. <laughs> so like, oh. so Marcus, Marcus says to me, Miles wants to hear something that nobody's ever heard before. I'm going, oh, well, that's great. You know, but we came up with stuff, man, because <laughs> yeah, I was like a funny. sampling craze, man. I was sampling all the stuff. I was sampling orchestra yeah. hits, stuff from TV, stuff from movie right. soundtrack, little orchestra things here and there. Well, yeah, cars. that was that was a it was kind of like the wild, wild west oh, with yeah. the sampling thing, it, too. It, right? Oh, it yeah. was. Well, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I had I had that. In, and then when I got a better sampler and Luther found out that I could fly in background vocals, he was like, whoa. But there was a lot of voodoo involved. <laughs> we had a sync to MIDI, to MIDI right. to Sympathy. You know what I mean? But but <laughs> we were in the state of the art studios back then. Those records, yeah. but no matter what the story is, once like the 1980s, say four came, 83, you know, those records started sounding great. I mean, really, yeah. you know, you know, the, the whole the whole thing of being in the studio and what the studio had to offer you back then was an incredibly skilled engineer who knew how to right. go and work an SSL or a Neve board and knew how to go and you know, create the different EQs together. And then you had, yeah. then you had these instruments, you know, that were really sounding great. And, you know, the, and, and all you needed was it was great songs. 
And if you had that, yeah. you had the you had this, and we had great songs. We had great songwriters. Yeah. Well, those, yeah, those, I mean, the people that are working with those folks are obviously like, they are the best. And when you have guys like Quincy and producing oh, yeah. Michael Jackson and all that, and the thing is that those records still sound good. Even, I mean, like you listen to Miles, that stuff, it's just timeless, Absolutely. right? It's, I mean, a hundred years from now, it's still going to be awesome. Yeah. I could tell you something, I put on Kind of Blue and I think it sounds amazing. Yeah. You know, it all depends yeah. on who was recording it for that time, you know? And, right. and you had guys like Rudy Van Gelder, you know, like, and Stan Tonkel and, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Yeah, all the all the legendary guys. Yeah, you have Al Schmidt, Phil Ramone, yep. you know, uh, Don Palouse. I mean, all these really, really great guys. And they were on staff. They weren't like... They who's, were like who's some of your, your... When you think of favorite artists, I mean, obviously Miles is one of okay. them, but what, what are some of your other really like famous artists that immediately pop into your head that you've worked with? That I've worked with? Um, yeah. Well, Sting, obviously. Right, I know? was going to say Sting, because that that's that, that actually won a Grammy, right? Yeah, so that, yeah. That, that, that was in yeah. a, that, that's my own, you know, that was, that was one of my stories that, you know, that I'm writing about in my book and everything about making that album, about how hard it really was to get that off the ground and how there was so much right. disbelief that I could pull it together, you know? Yeah. When I knew that I Because that was kind of, a, kind of a compilation record, right? Yeah, with that, of, that, of, that, of that, artists. Yeah, yeah, that was the music of Yvonne Linz. That's what tied everybody right. together. But Miles Davis was going to do that album uh, back in 1992 and he told me about it one night and uh, I was going to be on it with Quincy producing it and then he died so I yeah. so I spoke to Yvonne mm. and I told him about it and everything and I said you know man there's a record here and I want to try to make this record Yvonne and he yeah. goes well go ahead and try and, I was, and finally eight years later it happened because everybody turned me down but I mean you know with Shaka Khan I loved working with Shaka she's like she right. was a lot of fun and when she was laser focused on those vocals, she was focused. Yeah, I know. Yeah. She was good. Yeah. It's still same thing. Like you hear those early Chaka records, oh, like yeah. what she's doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. Like, oh, yeah, man. So she, yeah. I'm, I'm happy she sang on a couple of my things, you know. Uh, Grover, of course. I love Grover. He was a special cat. Michael Brecker, I mean, one of the greats, amazing guys of yeah. all time. You know, all the musicians in New York that I met were also unique. You know, Will Lee, Steve Gadd, you know, Randy yeah. Brecker, David Sanborn, you know. I love Roberta Flack, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just so so classic, classic people and voices. Oh yeah, but you know, but they all amazing. wanted what I had. They all wanted right. that synth vibe because that was happening. You know what I mean? And the whole thing is, yeah. we weren't. It's like Luther said. You know what I like, Jason? I like that your stuff doesn't sound like a big accordion. <laughs> and I said, yeah, because yeah, well, at that at that time the synth thing was still yeah, weird. Oh, it's yeah. still like brand new, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you had cats that just kept on stacking MIDI synthesizers on top of each other. Right, where exactly. I said, you right. know, it's the character of the sound you're looking for. I said that makes it so you can create it. When I did this album, Power of Love, there was like, you know, yeah. um, on on the main tune, Power of Love, to get that keyboard sound, was eight synthesizers to create that wow. pad, okay? But everyone right. had its own layer to make it so the sound was working. It didn't also- Yeah, sound you're like thinking one... more in terms of, you're thinking in terms of a symphony, not right. just doing, right. jump, bump, you know, putting a bunch of right. keyboards on top of each other. Right, and so, and, and so you know, I, I was saying, well, where do you start? You know, we have to start with a, with a structure and a bass. And, you know, it, it was so easy to be able to fail doing MIDI keyboards, you know, but, but <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, exactly. yeah. But, but, you know, but I spent so much time knowing the instruments and knowing the stuff and I was always prepared right. because some of these albums were big and took a long time to make. And I'm the only person right. in there and they don't want to hear the same thing twice. You know what I mean? They want to hear characters yeah. on each different songs. And so I have books of stuff. I have books downstairs with all my, my sounds that I layered for the albums and everything like, like that, you know? Mm. I'm thinking maybe I need to do that on the internet and like do one of those 
FT, whatever they're called now, FNTs. Yeah, or- you know what? Because I actually, because a lot of people, and people like those sounds come back, right? Like that that JX3P thing, like oh, that yeah. organ from that. Like all the, they're, they're, and the DX7 when that first came oh, out, please. like that DX7, you know, Rhodes piano thing. I remember seeing Chicago back in the day and they had like eight DX7s on stage. Right. right. <laughs> to get that, to get that sound, but that's the sound that everybody wanted. That oh my God, the DX7. Well, the whole thing is, here's the story. Now people realize that the DX7 actually kind of sounds like crap. And that they should have stayed with the Fender Rhodes, but the Fender was very heavy. The Fender, <laughs> oh my God, well, that's what that, that's what swayed me away from the Fender Rhodes. It was like backbreaking lifting that thing, right? But, but it has but, this classic right, sound, right? But then I was able to get a cartridge company because at the because around nineteen, you know, as times went on, my studio rack was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I go to L.A. Right. and I'd have like seventeen road cases waiting for me at Rocket Cargo, you know. And yeah, we, we go, yeah. we go in the studio, set it all up get it all working together, you know, like, and I used to make it where all you had to do was take stereo out right into the board and we were right. fine, you know? Yeah. But you're back in the, back in those days. I mean, now it's different because of laptops and computers, oh, yeah. but back in those days, you, you had to have that gear. Oh, like you were expected to have absolutely. it, right? Absolutely. Well, somebody like myself was because here's a story. There were guys that were keyboard players with synthesizers, you know, that's what, right, the, that's exactly. what they were. Yeah. I was a, I was a real synthesis keyboard player. You right. know what I mean? I was a real synthesis. Yeah. And I had guys like Thomas, Thomas Dolby and those guys that were kind of the same thing. Absolutely. Thomas Dolby was freaking great, man. You know, Uh, you know, and and then then there were the New York cats and the LA cats, Michael Boddicker and Larry Williams and Robbie Buchanan. And then we had Jeff Bova and Robbie Kilgore. You know, these, these were guys that was, that was serious synth guys too, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, so we had our, we had our little crowd and it wasn't like a lot of people because not everybody, you know, knew what was going on. You know, and right. and even if they had a big rack, that didn't mean that they knew how to program all their synthesizers. Everybody oh, they could get it, or they could get it together quickly. That's the other part of it. Well, right? well everybody was always looking for sounds. You got any sounds you can sell me, man, or anything like that? No, <laughs> figure out your own sounds. Your, your floppy disk, <laughs> right? Yeah. But those were, yeah. you know, those were incredible times. And and, and the whole thing is, is that the, the money was there. There was lots yeah. of money in the music business back then. And, you know, people don't understand when I tell them that, that back then the music business was the ultimate trickle-down economy. That, that, True. that yeah. what happened? Well, it started with you getting signed to a label, okay? And then the label gives you money to make a record anywhere between, you know, 150 to a million dollars. All right. Yeah, to make if you're Michael Jackson, you're getting like as much as you want, right? Well, Luther, I, Luther's <laughs> albums would be million dollar albums. Yeah. We'd spend a million dollars. Right. But even most of the albums were like two fifty to five hundred thousand dollars. You know, studio right. wasn't ex- studio was ex- expensive, and you know, and this is what happens. But they were selling tonnage. You know what I mean? Right. You, know, you know, yeah. People, but people are paying for music now. That now, now they're not really right, used to well, doing well, it well, anymore. Right. right? They were paying. They were, they were selling tonnage back then. I mean, in one week in Colombia, <laughs> man, they had like Celine Dion, Michael Jackson, and Mariah Carey. So like millions of albums, they were printing money. Where, but but let me tell you, the trickle down also happened at the labels, where the labels were right. all flush in cash. Okay, just just to say, you know, the first the first trickle down comes when the label comes and it trickles down to the band, to the musicians, right. management, studio, studio musicians, you know, yeah. restaurants. Because there's a lot lot of parts, lot of parts and pieces right. that go Resta- into that. Restaurants, yeah. you know what I mean? All of that right. stuff, you know. Yep. Then then you had the other side, the publishing deal to to the tour support to being on tour to the venues to the you know to the backline guys it was all trickling right. down man from someplace but that's because the label was the anchor for as screwed up as they were they had the money 
and they were making the money, but you were getting what you wanted. You wanted your album, you wanted this, you wanted a career. Right. And, you know, back then, a lot of times they hung with you for a few albums before they, you know, decided that it wasn't going to work and everything. Yeah, and it was, they, they allowed the time for bands to develop, which sometimes it takes a couple albums. Absolutely you hear that story does. all the time. Like there's a, there's a Fleetwood Mac or there's these bands where it took two or three albums before they actually really hit. Absolutely. And now that they, don't, they would never get that chance these days, right? Absolutely. So, you know, it's like the paradigm was like, was like totally, you know, totally different. And so, you know, we were able to take advantage of, of that whole thing. And, uh, you know, it was complex to make these albums, believe it or not. I mean, it really was complex because, you know, you had to go and you had to make sure everything was getting to get onto the tape in time and work with simply time code and understand how to program a sync box and everything. <laughs> right. It was, yeah. you know, it, it, it was, you know, there was a lot. Of, and, and that's why somebody like Marcus was like, you know, Jason's doing that, man. I can not have to worry about that with him. You know, everything's always going to be right. under control, you know, because I basically was like, I was basically running the session. It was all based around everything that I had, you know, yeah. because so. If yeah. It, I mean, because especially the electronic music oh, and yeah. doing the synthesis that, that was, I mean, all, like you talk about Luther, like in that, in that time period, especially like that was such a huge part of his sound, right? That layered synth guess sound. What, and, though? That was because of me, because Luther yeah. had, Luther had a record called the night I fell in love. And then he had bad boy and all these other ones, you know, and they were great, right? but they were built around like his band and his stuff and, yep. and, and that whole thing. And then he 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 was saying, you know, that he took R and B. He hit a wall, you know what I mean? Like he's the number one artist in R and B. You know where can he go? Yeah, but he wanted he wanted to break yeah, break out absolutely. of that. Absolutely. And right, so what happened yeah. was that I did when, when I did Tutu. You know, uh, one night uh, we were in the, uh, you know, uh, leaving the studio doing another project actually after Tutu, and my wife was with us, and Marcus came into the car and said, you know, man, I want to turn Jason onto Luther because we're going to make a new album, and I think that he could be a real key to making this album awesome. because of being able to cross Luther over into pop. I, I, right. knew, I knew how to get that, those sounds and I had to get that stuff happening, you know? And so, and it's funny because the, these days we all think of Luther as a pop artist and R and B, but actually back then he was an R and B artist, straight up R and B artist, you know? And uh, the guy came in and he was saying, you know, this is what I want, man. I want you to help us, you know, get, get to, so I'm getting pop hits. And the first album, man, we had like this tune, Stop to Love. You know what I mean? Right. And it was yeah. like, we were listening to that in the studio in Montserrat, coming back with the, the big keyboards and everything like that. The room was shaking. And like a few hours later, the project coordinator came up to me and said, hey, Luther wants you to finish the whole album. So when you come back to New York, we got awesome. a whole bunch of dates. And I worked with him for right. 10 years after that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You had, I mean, so it was, I think it was eight albums total with Luther, yeah, right? You're I, yeah, saying? yeah. I did eight albums with, yeah. with Luther. Four and the thing four. is, like, he, in that time period, he was hitting hard. Like, oh, he had, like, super so hard. many huge. We, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's the whole thing I keep on saying. You know, I said, there's been different sections of Luther, but we were like a real family with Luther. There was the live right. guys who also were on the records, also the singers, especially. And, and great, great, everybody's great players. Oh, yeah. And then there was, like, you know, the studio catch with me and Marcus and Ray Bardani and, of even Paul Paul Brown at times, you know, and we'd all like kind of know mm -hmm. each other and everything, but it was a magic time because yeah. Luther was going like this. He was ascending up and he was ascending right. up because we were we were creating new vibes for him, man. And the and the music and and, and the whole thing is Marcus started co-producing with him. That got Luther mm -hmm. into more of a modern stage about what's happening, you know? And it right. and it would be so much fun. You know, there would be times during the record, like when we did here and now, um you know, we were, we, it was funny, you know, we had done here and now in New York and, um, uh, we, you know, we are almost done. And Luther goes, we're going to finish the rest out in LA. And I was sitting there going to myself with the rest, man, we could finish this thing like tomorrow if we want. But no, he wanted to go back to LA. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 
okay, so all my shit gets sent out to LA. All right. And, and, and <laughs> now like, I'm, about, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get paid. So it's right, all good. right. Exactly. I go where they tell me to go. So now I'm in LA. Yeah. I actually brought Kathy. To it was my birthday. You know what I mean? My birthday. I brought Kathy to come. Because mm-hmm. said, look, you're going to hang at the Sunset Marquee. I'm not going to be here, but enjoy yourself. You know, we're making plenty of money. Nice. You know, and so, right. and, and so what happened was that we went into the studio and I would say, like, the first day, the first day was on a Saturday. We're finishing up the orchestra and Luther goes, let's finish the song up. And we're going, okay. And like three hours later, we're done with here and now. And I'm saying to myself, ah, well. okay, so now I'm booked till a week from tomorrow. <laughs> now I- <laughs> Do I have off this whole time? And then Luther goes, you know, I yeah. keep on forgetting to tell you guys, Marcus, we need another song because this is my greatest hits album. And I'm giving people two new songs along with the greatest hits here and now and uh, whatever we can come up with. So you got to write me a song, you know, write, write me a song. Wow. So I said, right. okay, here we go. That's why we're here, you know? <laughs> So, but but here's but here's what he said that was really cool. He said, "I want the kind of song. I want one of those really hip club tunes, you know, oh, where, awesome. where we can make the really cool sounds and a cool groove, cool beat, and I can do some, you know, you know R and B relics and all this stuff. I want like the hippest mm-hmm. stuff with the with the best sounds and everything, like the real state of the art." I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. And that was like That's incredibly awesome. fun because he gave up at the point. He knew we had a monster hit. We had here and now. Right. We, th- He's like, you guys just, you guys yeah, just do what you yeah, do. Give me something. <laughs> all, all, all it was like, give me something great. And the song that we came up with, I right. love this song. It's called Treat You Right. And I love it, man. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. And he, every time we did an album, we always had like one of those songs. We had one called The Rush that was on uh, um, uh, Power Love, which actually was a kill- killer song. But you know, yeah. but, but that's weird. But you know what? There comes a time. There comes a time when you go and you reach a certain place. And you know, when it came down to it, I had nothing left to give them. You know what I yeah. mean? I mean, yeah. After eight, eight albums is is a long run, right? For any any well, producer, and, and any with artist, Marcus, uh, you know, ten years, and he was a wandering spirit. Yeah. He wanted to do and play live more and create his own solo stuff because he saw where the right. where the music business was going, and he turned down a couple of lucrative production deals, which probably would have included me, but that just had me yeah. going. But you know what? When I started producing, I had to start from scratch. Right. Because yeah, because you have you have a record, a track record as a, as a synthesis, as a player, but the producing is a exactly. different thing. Because they got to give you, they have to cough up the money. Exactly. And you're 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 exactly side the exactly. Checks, and yeah. a couple of friends, one friend of mine, Arnie Holland, he had his own company, and he started saying, "I want to give you some work. I want to start." So he started giving me some work and everything. And what happened was that you know from there I did the UN 50th anniversary project called People mm-hmm. with a movie with right. with this. I got an Emmy nomination for it. You know. And then I started doing some work for Sony, but there was an evil vibe going on up there, man. And somebody was really sabotaging my stuff. And it was really painful. It was a friend, painful. And I didn't know whether I wanted to go and continue, but my friend Jay Beckenstein from Spyro Gyra, he wanted me to to produce some stuff on his solo album. And so when I produced Black Market by Weather Report, Jay Jay said to me, that's it, man. You got to do a whole album of Weather Report songs. And I was like, yeah, he goes, you, you kidding me? This thing's great, man. And I started thinking, okay. And it took me a while, but I got a deal for that. And that's how everything then started really snowballing. Yeah, I was going to say, because you actually, um, you got into a whole groove where you've been doing some really successful tribute albums, um, different groups. And, and tell yeah. me, tell me how, how exact was that sort of the beginning of that? Well, that whole thing? well, that was, that was, that was, well, one of the reasons why, why I did that in a lot of ways, because 
I had a great Rolodex, man, you know, from all of those years <laughs> right. in, in the studio. Yeah. I'm in there, you know, like I'm in there with like, you know, uh, well, first of all, I met Will Lee in 1974, so he doesn't count. I, know. Did, I, love, I love Will. Yeah. He's a sweetheart. Will has, yeah. Will has, you know how many records Will has played on for me and how many gigs he's done for me? He's about to do something for me also coming up. And uh, awesome. uh, yeah, singing this new Yvonne Lynn's track that we've written. And and, right. and so what happens was that you know I I you know I I knew them and everything like that but you know but I'd be in the studio and I'd see you know like these different people hey man can I get your number yeah sure man hey it was great hanging with you today Joe Sample was a friend of mine you know I met Joe doing right. the Crusaders project with that I got him he played on some of my stuff you know I'd always call the people yeah. and they go Jason what is it man well I thought a lot about it and I think you could do this and I'll pay you this amount of money and I'll pay you right on the spot. Well, yeah, yeah, let's go. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, always it's like, that. It's, I learned that. that. You can't turn that down. Well, the whole thing is, you, you know, you can if it's the pain in the ass. But I always right, said, but, right. I, but, but my whole thing was that, man, you got to respect the cats, man. And you're going to be respected back and you're going to get friends back because you keep your business straight. Right. That's the most yeah. important thing that people don't even realize that when you keep your business straight, you know, all of a sudden the level of respect to you comes back up a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, just be, being nice, being prepared yeah. and paying guys. Right. And, and having, real simple, music, but... having, having everything together right. so they can walk in and do their thing. You know, so right. so what happened was that by like 1999, you know, man, I had done the people project where I had tons of amazing people on it. And I just said, no. So I was like we were struggling, man. And I and some of my friends you know, knew what we were going through. And I said, would you do this weather report album? Absolutely, man. So it was Michael and Randy and Sanborn yeah. and Marcus, Steve Gadd, Vinny. You know, all of these great people played on the record. You know what I mean? Which, yeah. which didn't stop some people from writing on Amazon.com, die, Jason Miles, die, you know? <laughs> or, uh, hey, or, you know, or, what, do, what, what can you do? Or if I saw Jason Miles right now, <laughs> if I saw Jason Miles right now, I would definitely buy a gun and shoot him. I mean, this is the kind of shit oh. they were writing on Amazon because they thought that I was going into <laughs> hollow ground. And then all of a sudden you get to the oh people my God. Going, well, this album is brilliant. He just, he didn't say yeah. he was Weather Report. He said he was celebrating right. the music of Weather Report. That's, yeah, I mean, the thing is, yeah, you yeah. love that stuff. Yeah. You know those guys. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> so, Joe was yeah. happy I did it. Joe and Wayne made freaking shitload of money on that record because it was their right, song. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and it was number one in Japan and everything like that. But that album led to right. a love affair. But that album, a love mm -hmm. affair, came, well, first of all, Weather Report was my favorite band. And Joe was my friend. And Wayne was a friend. And so I wanted to right. do this, you know what I mean? To kind of just... Yeah, make, it, was, it, was, it was actually a real tribute, yeah. not just making right. money tribute. Right. right. Well, 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 the whole thing is they, uh, you know, they had been broken up already for 15 years and people forgot about yeah. them. And I said, okay, well, it's not like I'm going and they're on the road doing a tribute to them, man, you know? Right. I'm exactly. going and I want to get yeah. other generations into Weather Report, man, you know? And so, you know, with these tribute albums, okay, the Yvonne record, that had to happen because of Miles, you know? And so yeah. you know, I took it. But what I did with all those records is that I made them my own. I didn't make them like a quickie tribute type of thing. I mean, I crafted the shit out of those records to really make them something special. Yeah. And what happened was that right as I was making the Yvonne album and everything, Grover died. And I was talking mm, to Kathy yeah. and I said to Kathy, you know, man, I hate to say it, but I got to do an album, man, a tribute to Grover before somebody does it and screws it up. Right. And somebody yeah, said, you want it done right. Right. Yeah. And so I did it and I made it right to grow with love. So 150,000 copies, you know, but, awesome. and, but, but then after that, you know, like I wasn't doing like some real tributes, but I was doing kind of like revisioning things. Like I met Reggie Young and the Memphis guys and Reggie mm -hmm. was started to become a great friend. So I put together this project called soul summit with Reggie, yeah. Steve Ferroni and uh, Bob Babbitt. And we were the rhythm section. And then we had, yeah, I love and, Bob. And, uh, yeah. Bob was, Oh my God. 
See what I mean oh, by yeah, we're yeah. missing these guys. I mean, I'm missing. But he's a sweetheart. Jason, yeah. what's going on? How you doing? What's happening? <laughs> You know? There's so much, you know, it's it, Bob Babbitt. I mean, I'm glad they did the stat and standing in the shadows of Motown oh, because yeah. Bob, Bob is a name that, uh, you know, musicians know, ba- bass players, that kind yeah. of, I mean, I'm a bass player, but like the general public, of course, didn't know, which is the whole story of that right. film and also the Wrecking Crew. And like Bob, like he had such an interesting history. At one point he was a wrestler. Right. He was. Bob <laughs> yeah, Kreiner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob, 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 Bob. But he played on he played on some of the Marvin stuff. Oh, yeah. He played on I mean he just legendary Midnight, stuff. Midnight Georgia, you know. Right. You know, yeah. so if you want yeah. to see the Soul Summit video is on YouTube live. You can see oh, you can see okay. live. It's with Reggie and Bob, and I have a great guitar player for sure. I bought Steve Ferroni, Carl Denson, right. yeah. and then I had yeah. Susan Tedeschi and Mike Madison from the Tedeschi Trucks band. And it was great. Yeah, so great I did a players. couple of those. Great. We, we did a couple of those and we got to hang out with Bob, you know. And I said, you know, one day I called him up on the phone because I wanted him to do something. And uh, he said, listen to this. And I got to tell you something. I was on the phone and it sounded terrible. And I said, uh, you know, I'm going to be cool. But Bob, are you okay? Oh, yeah. Well, well everything's great. Be okay, man. So the next morning I get a phone call <coughs> from this woman with, hi, Jason. I'm so and so. I'm the studio manager where Bob was doing and everything. Look, I got to tell you this, man. It's very difficult. But Bob has brain cancer. Uh, and so I so. know that what you were hearing was not Bob at all. He was something going on, but I'm just telling you, man, uh, this is what's happening. Yeah. And that it was like a quick descent from there, you know? Mm. Yeah. I was, I actually interviewed uh, Denny Tedesco, Tommy's oh, yeah, son. Go. And, you know, yeah, he produced the wrecking crew and then it took him 12 years to get that done. But when they did, if you've, if you've seen the film, there's yeah. a big part of the thing where they're sitting around the table, the card table, and they're talking Tommy and how blame. Yeah. And, you know, Tommy was already very sick when they filmed that. Okay. And then a lot of those guys, you know, two years later, a lot of those guys were gone. So like those kind of legendary people, well, you know, and we, we've always, we've all grown up hearing them, jazz oh, yeah. musicians, all these oh, guys yeah. that we love. And it, it's when they're gone, it's like you, like with the tribute thing, you want, you want the music to carry on. You want to introduce new generations well, to that music. Well, right? well, you know, Reggie who played on 150 top 40 hits, you know, son of right. a preacher man, drift away, you know, yeah, uh, just legendary. Yeah, legendary. Yeah. he was a very dear friend. Uh, of mine very dear i helped him get his first record out and everything you know but you know but like you know you know reggie would tell me stories that were crazy he told me stories about recording with elvis he told me stories about he told me stories about playing <laughs> with the beatles reggie opened up wow. for the beatles on their first american crazy. tour with bill black's combo and he was there george harrison <laughs> loved the way he played and he was showing george how to bend strings they were hanging out in key west right. together he says but it was did it but it was crazy he said you know it was totally crazy. Yeah. And then he went to the UK because there was a deal where like, if you were an English act touring in the United States, you had to have an American act on the show. And if you were an, oh, and, and if you were an American act coming to the UK, you had to have an English act on the show. There was a union agreement. Yeah. There was a union agreement. Ah. So, you know, so he would tell me these stories and everything like that, you know, but, you know, Elvis he said, you know, when, when Elvis was in the studio, he was amazing. And the minute his guys mm-hmm. came back, he was an asshole. You know, yeah, I mean, the mafia guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. in the studio, he was like, you know, well, that's okay. Reggie goes, no, Elvis, I want to do it again, man. I got to get this right, you know. And he knew the seriousness yeah. of the record that he wanted to do, you know, because he was so talented. Right. Because they had all these other songs for him, man. And Chips Moman wouldn't do the music because he thought the song sucked. And so he had a fight with <laughs> Elvis's publisher in the room there and everything like that. And uh, he's and, and so Elvis yeah. walks in and Chips goes, I don't care who the hell you are, we make hits here. And if you want hits, you come here. He goes, these songs aren't hits. And Elvis goes, well, let's hear what you got. And so he plays them like In the Ghetto and The Suspicious right, Minds. Yeah. And Elvis goes, 
we're cutting those tracks, you know? Yeah. And they spent all week in the studio with Elvis, you know, making that album and everything. Crazy. And he wanted to take yeah. the band on the road with him and everything, but they didn't want any part of going on the road with Elvis, you know? Yeah, because back back in those days, like, and that, they talk about that, the Wrecking Crew, like, those guys, they were going on the road. Yeah. They were making way too much money yeah. in the city of L.A. Well, Reggie ended, <laughs> up, going, New York, right? Reggie ended up going and playing with the Highwaymen, you know? I said, I, yeah. I said, you know, well, you know, look, man, there's going on the road and then there's going on the road. And if you're on, yeah, the, road going on the road with, with George Cash, Harrison, and <laughs> if you're on the road with Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Merle, uh, you know, uh, Waylon Jennings, right. and Chris Christopherson, you're not exactly flying second class. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So he went out <laughs> exactly. and he did it. And you can see that the highwaymen live at the uh, Nassau Coliseum, he played. But, you know, but this is all the things, you know, but I, co I collected a lot of names, you know, for the different projects. Mm -hmm. But I want to look when right. I when I did Sly Reimagined with my with this global noise band that I have that I still have an album in the can that I'm waiting to release mm -hmm. at the right time because it's so yeah. fresh and it's so interesting and, and I worked very very hard on, on to create a concept for that but you know uh, you, you know you know you know you know seeing you know seeing what what the, what the story was you know I took and I really thought about it and I called my friend who was a drummer Stephen Wolf asking him could you play drums and he goes you know I me mean? you got to call Greg Rico the original drummer. I know him and he's a great wow. guy. I bet he would love to do it. Do you think that guy's going to come? He played on almost the whole album, Greg. How awesome. You know, yeah. so, you know, so I was able to go and always able to find those right people to go right. into. Because that, 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 that's a big part of being a producer is creating the right oh, stew yeah. of musicians, oh. right? Well, I, I learned that, though. I was in the studio with the masters, with Tommy LaPuma, Russ Teitelman, mm -hmm. you know, Phil Ramone. Right. I mean, I saw these guys work, man. Arif Martin. I never worked with Arif, but he was a friend and I always would talk to him and everything, yeah. you know. Herbie Mann and people like that. You know what I mean? I learned. Yeah, legendary. Yeah, I legendary learned from folks. them. How did they yeah. Tommy showed me how to, Tommy, without him showing me, of course, I, I learned how to run a, a session with Tommy. He knew how to run yeah. a session like a freaking bullet point, man, you know? And I learned that. Yeah. I, and, and you know what? I, there's so many other things that you learn that are like just the uh, intangibles, you know? Yeah, it, a lot of that's just paying attention, right? Yeah. There's a reason why these guys are so successful. There's yeah. a reason why Quincy had so many hits. Oh, and yeah. David and all this oh, guys. yeah. Well, you know, one of the things was also, you know, was that, uh, you know, you know, Tommy would always go, hey, I mean, I think we need to eat. What do you think? Yeah, let's get some pasta. I'll call up uh, Latanzi and have them come here and deliver food to <laughs> yeah. us, you know? And they would deliver amazing food to us. And he was a real right. bond, you know? And we go out to L.A. and hang with Luther and go to places. I mean, you know, it, th these were times of really being able to learn. I learned how to produce albums and make a record. Yeah. See, right now you, right. you have kids going in the studio. I'm telling you, they are recording music. Okay, they're recording and everything. They're not. They're not making records. Right. They're making singles. Is their is their whole. I don't mindset, even know if it's a they, whole different. That's a whole different thing. They're right? recording music, but they're not creating yeah. it as a record. It's not crafted a certain way. Where are those instrumental right. hooks that that always made some of these things better? It's all like you know, yeah. Pro Tools with the pro with the presets with the you know the 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 the, 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 the drums a certain way. There comes the lo-fi. There's some effects. Yeah. There's some other right, shit. Yeah. There's like no bridge. There's anything. There's a chorus, and then just they're not making their own sounds. Really, it's just right, samples. Right, and they're all yeah. going, and they're all singing stuff that doesn't have any kind of compositional flow. Right. And I always think about that because these guys, you know, a lot of the legends are Quincy. These guys are still around. And, and like, I listen to everything. I'm like you, like I listen to, I'll listen to everything from metal to jazz to, and, and I think you can really learn from that, but you have to be open to learning and paying attention. Right. That was the key though. But that's the whole thing. I studied electronic yeah. music in New York and learned how to do that. Then I studied classical piano with somebody for 18 years, you know, yeah. and, and I studied bebop with somebody, man, because I wanted to go. So I you're developing your vocabulary, right? Exactly. You know, I mean, I never knew a lot of these 
pro these artists and everything like that in 1974. But when I started studying piano with Mike Melilla, who was a genius jazz teacher, he got me into really got me into Bill Evans, the real good Bill Evans stuff, you know, Portrait and Jazz. Right. Everybody digs Bill Evans, you know, Bud Powell, Classics. Poco Loco, and Parisian's Thoroughfare, and these things, and Monk. You know, all these great people yeah. he got me into, early Duke Ellington. And I started going. And from there, we started building. And then hanging out with the Brazilians in New York. I got to check out Milton Nascimento in 1974. Nobody knew who Milton yeah. was. Clube de Esquina. You know, I heard all this stuff from the very beginning, man, of his, of his inception. And it really had a big yeah. effect on me. And that's why I kind of look at myself as almost yeah, like... Yeah, the Brazilians, the Puerto Ricans, like oh, yeah. all of the, the really interesting stew of Latin jazz. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and, and the Brazilians in New York, that was the first wave of cats, you know, mm -hmm. that came in. So I met them all and, you know, yeah. it was it was a very heady time, you know. And then... Tell me tell me uh, about, uh, uh, you know, not to, go, to, please. to back up because we're going to... Yeah, but um, you, so right before all this COVID mess started, you had just released your album, Black Magic. Yes. Um, so tell me about that. And then you also, you developing a one man show, you've right. got a book going on, right. you've got a lot of stuff happening. So tell me about all that stuff. Sure. And then this other album, I'll tell you about also that I'm very excited about too. Okay. Uh, but, awesome. but, but what Thank happened you. was that like, I have this band kind of new, which came from, which came from me seeing miles one day mm. and, uh, saying to him, miles, man, I was listening to bitches brew the other day, man, 1988. I said, you know what, man, I love that album, man, but I got to ask you something. You had like on on a, you you Turby started playing the roads and Chick was playing the Fender Roads. Joe Zavala was playing the Fender Roads. Larry Young, man, you know, so come on, man. Yeah. Who who is your favorite cat playing the electric piano? And he said to me, and he said to me, Keith Jarrett. And I go, Keith Jarrett. I had no idea that Keith Jarrett was. There. I mean, I know he played on a song on Live Evil, but I didn't. There's know a lot of there. people on that record. You know what I mean? You know. So yeah, so yeah. so I said Keith Jarrett. He goes, Jason. Keith is a funky motherfucker, man. So I didn't know anything, okay? And, yeah. and what happened was that 20 years later, I was at the IAJE, and supposedly Bob Belden and Adam Holzman found the legendary Celador tapes of the Miles Celador band that had Jack, yeah. Jack DeJohnette, Michael Henderson, right. Keith on Fender Roads, Gary Bartz, and Ayerto. And and, oh, and, and, okay. and so one day, Bob, Bob's yelling at me. They said, Miles, come here, man. Come here, man, you know? I got something for you. So the next day I go back and he hands me this, this thing, six set disc of the Celador session. And I hear wow. Keith. I hear Keith and I'm going, holy shit. Keith is blowing yeah. my living mind away on this stuff, man. You know, and of course he tells everybody he hates <laughs> it. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. You know, he always like happy, <laughs> smiling all the time. Playing, <laughs> Shut up. You know, exactly. You know, Keith is just diva-ing, you know. So anyway, so what happened yeah. was that I started saying, you know what? I need to address this because this is the small electric ensemble that's disappeared. And I want right. to do something like that where you can go and you can have the melodies centered and focused, but you can then go and start creating new music in front of people with these incredible musicians if you have it down. Yep. So I spent time and I started writing. And then I hooked up with this trumpet player that I that I that I knew for many years, Ingrid Jensen. I thought that okay, well, this will be very cool. And I'll bring Ingrid in and everything, you know. And so, you know, I started writing this material and uh, we made this first album called Just Kind of New. And it got rave, rave, rave reviews everywhere. People thought it was the best Ingrid was playing. Trump plays awesome. were calling up Ingrid and everything. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, it didn't work out with her. You know, mm. um, you know, it happens. Well, it does happen. But you know, when somebody doesn't appreciate what you've done, you know, th mm. that that's a that's a problem. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and you know, and, and when somebody looks at it another way, and and it starts not to turn into the team 
then you got to do something. And so I went yeah. to Europe. I went to Europe and, and I went and I uh, did a press tour by myself that my agent over there got me because I was producing an album in London for this beautiful jazz singer, Beverly Byrne. And what happened was that, you know, I, the writers were so thrilled to hear from me and everything because nobody ever really talked about me. You know, no, nobody uh, ever really talked yeah. about me. You know, they were all too into their own vibe. And so they said, wow, Jason, yeah. this is great. That's great. And so Stephanie goes, I came back after the Paris terror attack and I wrote this tune called Blue is Paris. And I turned it into like 12 different tracks, okay? And that was kind of yeah. an experiment. But then Stephanie said to me, you need to make a new kind of new album. You need to make something, you know, so we can start from scratch on this. Something you know? fresh, yeah. You know? So what happened was that um, I go and I start thinking, you know, that's a good idea. That is a good idea. So I, so I, I start to write some songs. But Reggie was coming over to New York from Brussels, Reggie Washington, with Stephanie, the, uh, my agent. And I said, here, you know, we just got done touring. What's an incredible tour we did. And I said, let's get together and do a live gig and I'll record it and we can have the basis of an album. So we cut these live tracks with the same band that I toured with in Europe because I played all the hip awesome. places, all the great places. And we got amazing reviews. I got four-star review from the London Financial Times and everything. It was yeah. great. So anyway, I had these tunes. So I started writing some new tunes because I wanted to make it like I had the same guys in the studio and the same guys live to show people that live is live right. and studio is studio. Yeah. So anyway, and, and often and often this is the case that what what you're hearing live is not the guys that played on the record. Right. Exactly. But that's so I had these guys, you know, you know, do it because they were brilliant and the, the live stuff was great. But then something happened. Herbie Hancock was playing down at the um, the Bergen Pack, and I I said, oh my god, we got to see Herbie. Tickets were 150 dollars a piece. And I was like, oh my God, do I really got it? Oh, yeah. it's like I used to save in the village for like 20 dollars. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but what happened was that James Genus and Vinnie Caliuta and Leonel Luecki were yeah. playing with him. And I know them. So I called up James and Vinnie and they got his comps. And I went and I saw Herbie and it was breathtaking, man. It was amazing. Yeah. And I and, and and so after talking to Herbie and seeing him, we hung for a little while and everything. I saw Vinnie and James and you know, just was so inspiring. And was just talking to me was so, cause I had known Herbie, we had done some, a couple of things before that. And what happened yeah. was that I got very inspired. I came home and listened to the music. I threw all the songs away and I started writing new songs. And so the four songs oh. that you hear on Black Magic are the new songs that I, yeah. that I did when I went. And all oh, the record starts coming out. I got to deal with Rope Dope. And all of a sudden we got a sold out tour in France of the first of a few coming up and COVID. Right. Yeah. And so it and yeah, happened to all, all of us. It's like, now what do I do? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so everybody, yeah. and, and so what happened with that, it took a few months, but I decided, you know, I'm not going to let this record die. So that's when I decided to yeah. cut two more tracks. I have two new tracks yeah. for the, for this. So I'm going to release those in a, in, in a few months after the summer, hopefully. That's a great idea, man. Thank you. And, they, and they're great killer, idea. killer, yeah. total killer. One of them, I have Randy Brecker as a special guest on. Awesome. Well, you know awesome. what I figured if I'm going to do this, I got to go for the gusto. You know, yeah, you got to do it like for real. Yeah. So sure. so I got the same guys playing. It's still Reggie and Jay Rodriguez and uh, Gene Lake. But I but I got Randy to play to, to play instead of this guy, Philip Dizak. And, and, and then oh. we do this tune. It's about that time from Miles. I took the live track. So we've got a live track and a studio track kind of balance everything. But like the one man, the one man show thing. I've been working on that for 10 years. OK. Wow. And, and and I learned because I've got a lot of stories. I've got a lot, a lot of stories. Yeah. A lot of stories, and that, that, that stuff needs people want to know that oh, stuff. No. They want to know what it was like working with Miles. Yeah. And all. I mean, all, it's hand. so much history firsthand. Yeah. You know, but not like well, right. you know, I saw him, and then my friend told me that. You know, I'm there, man. I got, <laughs> exactly. I got Miles stories. Exactly. That you, I got Miles stories you won't even believe. I got Luther stories yeah, that are crazy. I was man. gonna say, Shaka, people Luther, love Luther. 
all the stories yeah. about all of these amazing things, you know, Gatto Barbieri, you know, I mean, all these incredible yeah. stories. And so what happened was that I, 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 I saw Chris Rock on TV and I saw Jerry Seinfeld on TV. And Jerry was there. He goes, what you been doing? He goes, well, I've been breaking and stuff. Well, how do you break and stuff? Well, the other night it was two o'clock in the morning and I couldn't sleep. And I was thinking about this riff that I was doing. Riff and I called up the comedy club and I said, hey, you got, you, are you still open yet? Yeah, do you have any time if you want to come down and do 20 minutes? Yeah, there's still people here. So he takes his Porsche, parses it right in front of the club, goes in there, <laughs> jumps on stage and gives it a workout and see how it goes for those 20 minutes right, to see yeah. if he can do it. And if that works, he starts seeing how he can integrate it. Well, that's what I did. Right. The, at the beginning, the show was scattered some, and it was scattered over there. But then I understood how to start bringing it more together. And then yeah, you know, you know, the last few years, I was you know, doing the Soul Train. I, I was did the Soul Train cruise, and I got to do it on the Soul yeah. Train cruise a couple of times. And I said, oh, yeah, this works. People love this, man. They couldn't get enough yeah. of the stories. And, you know, what happened was that I said, okay, this is what I have to do. But what how also had everything got tied in was that we were on stage in Vienna with the band. And uh, it was the last night of Porgy and Bess. And uh, we mm -hmm. had played, and the place was freaking screaming, man. They were clapping and standing, and everything it was wonderful, beautiful, beautiful moment. So we went upstage and I said, you know, we don't have any more tunes, man. We just did an encore. And now they want us to go and do another song and everything. What are we going to do? Right. I said, you know what? You come out, I'll start a groove, okay? They'll love it for five minutes. We'll all just do something crazy and it'll be a lot of fun. Everybody, Great idea, let's go. So anyway, I go out, I walk out on the stage. I'm sitting down at the queue, I turn around, there's nobody there. Nobody walks out on the stage with me, you know? And, they, and, 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 and they're going like that. They want to hear you play, like, man. Play something, you know? <laughs> so I start playing solo piano and it goes over yeah. really well. And I walk backstage and Jay Rodriguez tells me, hey man, this is your next album. I'm going, what? The solo piano album. You got to do that, man. You get the stuff over. I see what you're doing because I'm very melodic concentrated. All my music has right. got mel melodic content to it, you know? And so I went and I practiced. As, like, as it should. Yeah, well, hello. <laughs> That's another story. Yeah, exactly. Another I know, three I know, hours. I know. You know, I'll tell you about that. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. You, you know, but this, you know, you know, the, you know, the story is, 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 is that, you know, so I came home and I practiced for four months and I did half an album on Fender Road, half an album on Steinway Grand. And, awesome, right. and, and I'm writing this book called The Extraordinary Journey of Jason Miles, which I have to tell you something. I'm very proud to say it's almost done. I'm very close to being wow. done. Very close. And, to I, and that's a huge, that's a huge project, right? It's like, what do I, what, all, what do I include? What, what do I Exactly. Not well, you know what? I could have, <laughs> it's, it's I, I could have, but so, so just to get in, in, into that, so I decided, you know what, man, I'm going to release the album and the book at the same time. You know, oh, try to great. build live shows after that because nobody got to spend a lot of money to do my solo show. And I could bring a special right. guest with me, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, play it all over the world and everything like that, which is what I want to do. I'm bringing Kathy and tour this because I got the stories to tell and the music to play and having this book yeah. and everything like that could be really, really cool. I did not throw people yeah, under the it bus. It all ties it together. Did, yeah. did, you know what? I can't throw people under the bus because I'm only telling the truth, you know, and I'm right. not coming from emotion. I'm going into personal facts of what happened. And, you know, there's going to be yeah. some, there's going to be some people I just, you know, told, but most of the time, even people that I had problems with, I didn't throw them under the bus because I realized that yeah. they hired me. And you and got guys, get... there's guys like Miles too, that are just, they're just complicated guys, but they're oh, yeah. so talented. Oh yeah. And like, you know, and it's not, it, those stories are like, I mean, I, I've talked to some of the folks, other folks that have worked with Miles and it's great stories. Oh. Like it's, and, and, and I have my, unique some, there's some crazy stuff. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I have my unique stories, like, you know, how I met him and what he said to me, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, and, right. and I said to him, you know, he had a very affectionate name for me for a week after I met him, you know, 
And, uh, you know, and I know that he was just affectionately calling me Whitey, you know, so. <laughs> Yeah. So until, until you know, when he does that, when he does that, you kind of go, okay, hey, yeah, hey, he's he's, 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 yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But you know, uh, but you know, but 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 a week after that, man, when we were really listening down to the record, and he was listening, to man, he knew something was going down, and saw me working, yeah. and all of a sudden he goes, yeah. hey, Jason, I want you to try something. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, I'm Jason now. You know what I mean? Okay, I graduated. I'm not whitey anymore. I'm not whitey anymore you know. But the whole thing is, you know, so. So I write about all of the stuff in the book, and it's called The Extraordinary Journey of Jason Miles, a musical biography. Awesome. And so yeah. I'm going to try to go and, you know, get, 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 make it so I can release the book and the album at the same time as a bundle. Yeah, that's know? a great idea. And, and I mean, I think it's because that's that you're telling the story of how all that stuff was made. And that, I mean, oh, yeah. again, like that whole time period is so magical. Oh, yeah. There's so much that that 70s, 80s, a lot of just legendary music and, created great you know so many stories and it's not a memoir it's not a memoir right. it's it, it's it's a group of essays and stories and observations right. that's what it's what i'm saying i'm yeah. born in brooklyn yes i sort of of course i cover brooklyn some but i but i'm telling stories it's not like in some chronological order you know what i mean the making yeah, of yeah, tutu yeah. power of love you know this album right. that album and, and then i have a whole section called people i've met along the way and uh, yeah. I talk about a tour that we did, you know, that, that, that the global noise tour that was insane, you know, I mean, just to bring people into the world of what was going on a lot more, rather than, and my mother right. told me, and I went to this, you know, they don't want to, <laughs> they don't want to know that, man, they want, they, they want stories yeah. for real. So that's what I they want the real, the yeah. real deal. So I didn't yeah. throw anybody under the bus. I tell the truth about some people and some people may have some problems, but if it was a real serious thing, I didn't mention the, the, the name. I said, I don't want to create something that I want to, I want to just bring people on the journey and them seeing if they think it's so right. important that they got to know who that person is. I named plenty of names in this book, plenty of names, you know, <laughs> but, but nobody wants to hear, well, I went into yeah. the bathroom and I caught, you know, like, you know, like it, it, it's throwing somebody into the bus is not telling it's everybody. It's about the music. It's well, not about the, yeah. yeah it's so, not about so, so it's like, you know, the first day of Tutu when I walked in and I walked into the bath, I went to the bathroom, the door was locked. And so uh, I said, okay, somebody's in here. So I, just <laughs> yeah. stood, so I just stood by the back and the door opened yeah. up and it was Tommy. Okay. And I walked uh, in there yeah. and I'm going, holy shit, this room smells like freaking Hawaii, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? yeah. So I guess that's as far as throwing under the bus that, you know, comes, you know, but I think, yeah, but, but yeah, yeah. Tommy was freaking smoke pop. That, like was, the, that was the, yeah. yeah, that was the time. Yeah, right? yeah, you know, I just didn't get into some ugly shit that I, that I saw. And we saw some real yeah, ugly yeah. stuff. And I don't think that I'm it, sure. I, yeah, I don't think that that's it. I yeah. don't want to bring people in there and dredge that up in lives again, you know. But I right. do want to tell some stories, you know, about how Marcus and I spent fifty dollars a piece on milkshakes one day, you know, <laughs> yogurt shakes. You know, you know, you're making too much money when you're spending fifty dollars on a milkshake. <laughs> no, or you or you pulled in front of the or you or you pulled in front of the you know Humphrey yogurt in L.A. and pulled your car yeah. in front and got up. And ran into place to get the yoga shakes. The next, you know, I mean, the cops are outside ticketing you for a hundred dollars. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm saying these are the that two was most expensive. These, the, the, these are the two most freaking expensive yoga shakes I've yeah. ever had. Man. You know what I mean, you know, you know, these, these, I get you into stories. You know, like that. It, it's like yeah. I was, it's like I was telling you about the second tune that I did with Luther for the here and now thing. You know, we were doing right. it. All of a sudden, we're doing it. It's coming out. You know, we're working. We're working on that on a Sunday afternoon. And Marcus goes, you know, let's split. Okay. What well, it goes, you know what? I like what I got, but I don't know if I'm gonna like it in two hours. Let's go to Westwood and play video games. Yeah, let's hey, go. You know? Good, yeah. You know, right. but but you know what? I learned something from that. I learned when you think you got something, leave it and come back right. to it. And then come back and see yep. if you like yep. it. And I guarantee you, man, 
that like half the time you're going to come back. Oh, I don't like that shit. And then half the time you're going to yeah, go, that's... wow, that's pretty good. Oh, you know what? I like those two bars. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, yeah. I'm like that with photography. I'll be editing and editing. I'm like, you know what? I need a break. Right. And then you come back and you go, yeah, that sucks. Let's start over. Right. <laughs> you well, know? you know, you know, you, you, need fresh, you need fresh eyes and fresh ears. And, one you know. of the things that's very important to me in the future, besides going out and performing now, my the show and bringing black magic and kind of new back out on the road, trying to do more weather right. report gigs, which came out fantastic. Cause I was bringing Carter Beaufort from Dave Matthews with us, with Jeff Coffin. Yeah, it's great, you know, great player. Yeah, yeah. Because they had often, we were doing these weather report gigs and it was really great. But you know, but I also am at the point where like over that time I produced a bunch of independent artists. And this last mm -hmm. thing that I just finished with this girl, Rebecca Angel, it's phenomenal. I'm going to send it to you. It's it's a phenomenal yeah. album. It came out <laughs> just like, like a like a 1980s production i mean modern and everything but the whole way we did it with crafting yeah. the parts and getting the right people and this record is extraordinary right. and i need to go and i need to put myself out there more in the public about you need to come to me to learn how to make a real record if you want to have a real career if you want to just do something right. and be part of the crew that's okay if you want to learn how to be an artist and if you want to know how to make a real album with great songs and great vibes or great singles or whatever i'm here you should come to me because I can help you get to that place. And I really want you know, to do that. Yeah. And the big thing too, is like, you know, you talk about like the kids making a record at home on their laptop, like, you know, a big part of the, the records that you made are collaborations. Oh yeah. Are bringing in great musicians, great artists, getting them all in the same room and creating together. Oh, yeah. Right. That's a big, a big thing. But also, but also, but also part of the deal is that what I've learned is I've learned how to make it sound like that. I've learned how right. to craft records where you don't have to be in the same room. And that's how Rebecca's record. Rebecca has got the best musicians in the world on her record. You know why? Because everybody was around. Everybody wanted yeah, to everybody work. Everybody was available. Everybody, everybody <laughs> exactly. was, everybody was yeah. available. So we have all these amazing right. musicians making this. And, and you know, we had a number one song from the album with For What It's Worth. Um, it, it was on five uh, uh, AC charts that we got number one wow. on. And I think that she's got a yeah. bright future to it. But this is what I know how to do. I know how to go and really yeah. work with the artists. I've taken all different kinds of artists. I had a judge from Savannah, Georgia come and he was a guitar player and he wanted to play with the New York Cats until he figured out that he wasn't good enough to play with the New York Cats. And I and, and, right. and, and then he came back home and then he went back home and he woodshedded for two months and then got back to me and he was playing great. He's, I mean, I learned a lot of stuff about this man, you know? And, awesome. and I work with some independent artists that, you know, that I really was able to make something happen for. And that's what I'm right. trying to yeah. do. So I'm going to do a series of videos and a little solicitation and see what's happening. Because, you know, and also, you know, Kathy and I are trying to move overseas. We're trying to move to Portugal because, yeah. because yeah. I think that overseas, I think, I think my one man show would go over really well there. Yeah, and they and in Europe especially, they really appreciate, oh, yeah. especially those stories, and they love American music. Oh yeah, and all those artists are still hugely popular oh, there, yeah. and also in Asia. You're talking about Japan too. Oh, like yeah. that, that stuff is is gold oh, yeah. there. It's oh still yeah, gold. absolutely, man. And you know, when when I started telling stories, you know, um, when I did some interviews, you know, people just they can't get enough of it. They can't get enough of mile stories, and my mile stories are crazy yeah, because they're yeah. one on one. You know, in his apartment, right. making music in his apartment, or you know. Uh, you know, calling me up at midnight, telling me he needed me to come over to his house, and then you know, just talking for the next three hours. Or, I know, yeah, uh, the crazy. He has a lot. He has a, fun, a lot of fun stories about him. <laughs> exactly, but he was a complex guy. Yeah, right. very complex. But he was a genius. He's a genius. Well, of course yeah. he was. He invented jazz all of this yeah. time. So, you know, so all I'm trying to do is now that I'm turning seventy in June, mm -hmm. I want to just try to take the next phase and you know get as much as I can. Yeah. And I got inspired, man, from Herbie and Chick. 
you know? And, yeah. and, and your chick left us, man. And I, it was unbelievable. I know he was having so much fun doing the stuff at home during COVID. Like I, I loved watching, I loved watching that. Cause you really saw the child spirit in him. Exactly. And what like was the, so, what was so sit there and play drums and, you know. Exactly. What, what was so beautiful to me was that he called me out several times when he was uh, awesome. doing that. You know, he would read people's names yeah. that were there and everything. He goes, hey, Jason Miles is here. Jason, hey, what's happening, man? <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe this, man. I'm sitting at home and Chick Corea is calling me out in front of like thousands right, of people. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Jason's like, a great, like the... Yeah, Jason's a great musician, man. Yeah, you should check his stuff out. I mean, Chick's saying this stuff. That's and I'm awesome. saying to myself, what do I need in this life, man? You know, I mean, Roberta Flack said something about me that was beautiful miles called me a genius right. and what do yeah. i need do I, you know i don't have to say anything to anybody it's there for them to see you know yeah. and i yeah. and, and i try well, to be awesome, as humble man. as you possible know, you know you gotta be as humble as it, possible the thing about it jason is that you've had i mean like i was saying when i looked at your discography and your your history it's just so deep and like literally we could go for hours because it's so much oh, yeah. there and maybe once once you get your um your next phase when we start touring again, maybe we can have you come back and talk about sure. what you're what you're even more what you're going to be doing. And, and there's so many stories um, that we haven't even touched on. But of course, tell me how people can find how people can find you online. I think it's, you have your website, right? Well, I have my website, JasonMilesMusic.com. I am on Facebook awesome. and I'm on Twitter, Instagram. You know, yeah, all, uh, all the stuff, right? <laughs> my phone number is, you know, if you, you know, my email is jasonmiles at mac.com. And okay. uh, people are more than willing to contact me. You know, like I, I do a lot of awesome. stuff too. I can, I consult with people to help them go. I listen to people's songs. I A&R songs for people. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just, this is what you get when you've done it for 46 years. I'll tell you a funny yeah. thing. I was at the House of Music in West Orange, New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I used to work there a lot back in the 80s and into the 90s. Right. And next door was Cool and the Gang. They had they worked there all the time, you know. So I met Cool and the Gang. But I met their producer, Diodato, Jumia Diodato. And he was one of my heroes also. You know, 2001 and all that, Carly and Carol and ECTI right. yeah, and everything. Yeah. Super Strut, you know. And, um, and, so, and so we started hanging with Diodato. And so I was listening back to like, you know, celebrate and everything when they were mixing. And I said to right. him, I said to him, you know, there's so many interesting things happening in there. How do you know, you know, what to really go and do, you know? And he goes like this, points to his yep. ear. And I'm going, okay. And I really didn't know whether I understood it. But then as time goes on, I really realized, wow, your ear is very well trained now. You can hear a lot of stuff right. and it's, and, and that's what has to happen. You have to learn from that. It, it really bothers me. You know, when I hear about these kids, you know, coming up, yeah, well, I've got my own band. I just got out of school. I got my own band and I'm going to go and, you know, we're, we're going to tour, we're going to do a tour and I'm looking for an agent and everything like that. I'm going, if I came to New York and said that shit, you know, my yeah, first, been my, like, hey, my, listen, my sit first down, week <laughs> there, you know what I mean? But, you know, I'd, I'd be like flying across the freaking river. Nobody would even give it to, yeah. they'd be kicking my ass all over. You got to understand how to build and how to do it. And that's going to take time. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, my started getting, I started really getting on the scene. I'd say in like 19, even though I was on the scene, I was elevated to that exalted level about 1984. I had been out of 10 right. years, you know, 10 yeah, years. It I was took time, it, right? You know, yep. and, and I keep on saying this, you know, everybody talks about Chick when he was with Miles. You know, 1968. And then he played before that. He did, you know, the Now He Sings, Now He Sucks. But Chick came back to right. New York in 1959. What was he doing all of those years? You think he was like, well, I'm Chick Corea, man. And it was that. He was freaking scuffling <laughs> with the wife and two yeah. kids. You know what I mean? He's he was, trying to make a living. Right, and, exactly. Yeah. He wasn't like he's Chick Corea. I mean, he told stories, you know, like about 
you know, driving to Rochester. How that's when we met Steve Getty. He did a gig in Rochester that he had to drive to. You know what I mean? Or, or Randy Brecker told yeah. this other story about, you know, that they were in a car driving down to Jersey and the tire blew out and all the chick was in the car. You know what I mean? All these things because they thought the gig was going to be cool and it ended up being a real dog of a gig. You know what I mean? But and these are stuff that, <laughs> that it doesn't matter who you were. They happen to yeah, you. It's just life. Right. It's be, life. Be, yeah, be, yeah. Because when you read Herbie's bio, you know, Herbie talks about he came to New York. He couldn't even fucking buy a cheese sandwich. He had no money. <laughs> yeah. But that you know what that 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 all that stuff makes you stronger and you learn like you say it takes years right. and then one day you wake up and then you're there if you're lucky right because to get to the point where you got you guys have been and at your level, um, it's luck it's hard work it's just all the stars have to align well, luck <laughs> luck as they say luck is uh, luck is uh, you know uh, experience preparation means preparation. And- you know, luck, exactly. you know, you know, and, and when you have that, when I went into Miles and, and with Miles, man, you know, they didn't really know me that some of the guys knew me and everything, but they didn't, they, they didn't yeah. know me, but I was put under the seat. And you know what, the minute I walked in that door, man, my confidence and so was like, I can do this. I can definitely yeah. do this, man. I can do this. You know, and when I started working with Luther, you know, I said, I can do this. I just need to give, give me the time to set everything up the right way. And I can do right. this. And I've always said that, you know, through everything that I did, whether it was producing or whatever, it, it just seems to always have to come back to you naturally or else it's not real. Mm-hmm. And I saw that. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I saw that with all of these people, man. I really did. And I saw what it took to get respect. And I saw, you know, all these different things. And I try to go in and, and lead those lessons right. When I saw, when, yeah. the last time I saw Joe Zavano, it was a jazz at Lincoln Center. We had a we had we had at times a cantankerous relationship because he always thought that, I, he was a complicated guy yeah, too. He was I, absolutely. I know, yeah. But yeah. what happened? What happened was that after I started working with Miles, he didn't know I was working with Miles. He just thought, you know, uh, man, this kid's okay, man. He's a good kid, blah 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 blah. You know. <laughs> then all of a sudden, I'm at Miles' house, and Miles get he calls like, Miles, what? He calls Miles on the phone, and yeah. he was in New York, and we were going to see him. And, uh, and 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 Joe and Miles goes, you know, well, I got this cat that does synthesizers, man. It's phenom- phenomenal, man. Jason Miles, he's my man. Yeah, I go everywhere with him. And Joe was freaked out. You know, and by wow, I didn't think you were going to get that working with Miles. You know, so he started treating right. me really weird, thinking that I was going to come on with some big ego and everything. But I never did. <laughs> you know, yeah. and 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 so the last time I saw him, right before he died, a few months, we were at Jazz Lincoln mm-hmm. Center seeing the Zabinal Syndicate, and he yeah. and we were backstage with him. And he saw me and Kathy, who he met when we were 22, you know, I was at a club in New York. How did meet? We sat and got loaded all day, all night at the club. You know, we were smoking <laughs> joints, uh, joints upon joints. Yeah, you know? He loves the good old weed. days. <laughs> right. He loves smoking weed. So anyway, so what happened yeah, was yeah. that, so what, so, so, you know, so what happened was that he's in the room and all these people are around. He goes, hey, everybody, you see this cat next to me? This cat, this is Jason Miles, man. He's got some bad stuff happening, man. He's a great musician. And you know what? How he respects awesome. the generations that came before him, man. He re- he, rep- he respects the generations of musicians that came before him, man, you know? And awesome. that summed it That's up. Awesome. I never showed yeah. the disrespect or anything like that. I showed respect yeah. to these guys. Ralph McDonald, I worked with Ralph McDonald. I brought Ralph to Japan right before he got cancer. We did the music of yeah. Grover there. So I got to bring Ralph in Japan to exalt his stuff of producing wine light and all these albums, you know, right. And and that's what happened. And we'd sit in the van and he would tell us stories, you know, about Harry Belafonte and this and that. I'm saying to myself, man, you can't buy this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I mean like that, that's, that's the thing. That's so, that's like gold, right? It's like the mile stuff and all that stuff. It's just so interesting. And those, those stories, I mean, 
you know, the fact that you were there and you lived them, like you said, you were the first person right. there in, in the room. Oh, and, yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, that's like a little window into their lives, especially somebody like Miles, who's so complex. Oh, so, complex. And, uh, but, but I can see why he yeah, was complex. Character. But I can see why he yeah. was complex because when you come and you play and you're in a, and, and you're in a country that's a racist country, and then you right. go, yeah. and then you go and you go and you play in France and you go and play in Europe and they're treating you like a king and you're staying in five star hotels. The king of Sweden exactly. is honoring you and all this other stuff. You're doing a movie with Jean Moreau and everything, you know? And uh, then you come back to the United States and then you can't use the bathroom in North Carolina. Exactly. Yeah, I know. So, it, it's it's tragic. Well, I figured it it's out. Part, it's part it's part it's part of their it's part of what made them as strong as they were. You're I absolutely mean, that, that was right. part of James Brown, same deal, right? Oh, like yeah. he that's what made him who he was. Absolutely. You know? But you know, but it's like it's like really, really <laughs> interesting because you know, Miles, Miles would always go, Jason, you know, these white motherfuckers, man. You know, I'm going, he would always say that to me. I'm going, one day I'm at his house. Like, and, what do you say to that? Right, here's what you say to that. Here's what you say to that. Yeah. You say, Miles, look, you know, man, I know what the story is. But, you know, but let's face it. You talk to me and everything, but you, and you say that, but I'm a white guy. And he said, and, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, so I'm just trying to figure out, you, you know, and he goes, no, you're, you're a musician, man. You got the heart yeah, and you're soul. You're part of the family. Man. You know what I mean? You yeah, got the heart yeah. and soul, man. Because those white motherfuckers, and the next thing you know, perfect timing <laughs> on TV, there's Bush and Quail. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And he points to them, and I'm going, Oh, oh, the man. And he goes, Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But so I said, Yes, yeah, that's yeah, it. I it's the you. system. It's not us, it's the system. Right. Because right, Miles yeah. worked with a lot of white people. You know, his yeah. manager was that was like, his whole career. His whole career was was like that. And and like searching out those guys, right, to work with. Yeah, so. Dave, Dave Liebman, Bob Berg, uh, you right. know, uh, Steve Grossman, Chick, Keith, you know. Uh, all, yeah, you know, long list of guys. Along long list of guys. Then he had Jack, Michael Henderson, Gary Bartz, right. Train, you know, and all of those stories, man. You know what I mean? Jimmy Cobb. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, 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 it's like he had plenty of time to figure out what was happening. You yeah, know? his actually, yeah, and that's the thing because his his bands were melting pots. Like, absolutely, he liked doing that. He liked shoving these guys together and working and kind of pulling the best out. Oh of yeah, them. I mean, that was that's a big. I mean, his legacy and him and Chick both like they have a huge legacy well, with that. Well, well look great. at like you know, look at look at like you know that who is who is Miles' big adversary that he'd fight with all the time, Tio. You know what I mean? But you know, I hate that motherfucker. You know, but meanwhile, Tio was like the man. You know, but he 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 shepherded yeah. Miles through so much in so many different ways. You know, right, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think and the thing is, it takes a team to create that kind of art, right? It's hard. You can't do it by yourself. You, 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 need, you, you need to you, surround yourself with the best exactly. people. Exactly. But you know what? Also, I found yeah. out. I also found that with several situations, you know, sometimes you know, so, sometimes it's, it's better not to get what you wish for, because when you meet some yeah. people, sometimes. And you hold them in such a high position, and then you find out how they really are. Sometimes it's like, right. yeah. oh yeah. my god, I can't believe yeah. this. Yeah. I, I, Especially if it's your hero. If your yeah, hero. Well, what's a hero? <laughs> a couple of heroes yeah. I work with. I'm saying to myself, oh my god, I can't yeah, believe. I didn't know. You know what? I, I I had no idea. And you go through it and everything, and then, but you see the genius and you appreciate it. But then you say, oh, he's just not a good guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think in that situation too, you focus on the genius part, and then you just don't just don't go hang out with them. <laughs> well, depends on how they're treating know, you yeah. when you when you work. Oh, uh, true. Them, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, you might yeah. say, "Well, I'll do this for this asshole," but you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens. How much am I getting paid again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. By the way, I'm, I'm I'm bumping up my cartage bill for for this aggravation. You know exactly. What I mean? But you <laughs> know, it, yeah, exactly. You know, but 
I don't know, man. You know, I'm, I'm looking and I keep on saying there's just some things that are so important, man. Your health is so important. You know, I had anxiety right. problems. All through those years, I was having deep anxiety issues because there was so much pressure, you know, even though, yeah. you, know, even though you don't realize it until, you, until something goes down and you realize, oh, yeah, there's a lot of pressure happening here right now. Yeah, and they're giving you a million dollars to get a hit off, off of Luther. Like, it, yeah. that's for real. Yeah, with, <laughs> I'm staying at the Sunset Marquee for three months with my own rental car per diem every day and a crazy salary. They don't want to wear Jason. Right. He's playing video games in the lounge. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. And the other part of it is you better deliver, right? Like okay. you can have all that stuff. I was never worried deliver. about that. But you know, man, when you're yeah. at this place, you're not worried about that. You, you know when you don't yeah. deliver? When you put in the wrong scenario. That's right. when you don't right. deliver. You know what I mean? But like if you're like a rock guitar player and you're playing on a country date, you know what I mean? It's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be challenging. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, yeah. you know, you kind of see, yeah, what, you you. see what's going on. But most people that ever called me knew exactly what they wanted. And, you know, right. and the ones that didn't, I helped them get to that place. Awesome. Hey, Jason, yeah. um, thank you so much for joining My me. My pleasure, um, man. I, and, I, and, and I'd love to do this again. Like sure. I said, I know you've got other lots of projects coming up. Cool. Um, and, and hopefully once all this COVID stuff dies away or goes away or whatever, then and we get on the road. Um, I'm really looking forward to hopefully I'll get a chance to, to see you in person. Where, where are you based live. out of? I'm based out of Las Vegas. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know, do you know, yeah, but my, I, I just spoke to my friend who lived in Las Vegas the other night, Tommy Schumann. You know, Tommy? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He yep. lives in Las Vegas, yeah. you know? It's a small little world here. It, well, <laughs> like it New is. York, but I wouldn't thing, live in, you know? I don't think I could live in Vegas, though. It's a, yeah, yeah. I kind of I came here I came here back in the late eighties because there was oh. so much work just for yeah. for what I was doing for the live stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, but it's fine, and I and I, I get to New York a lot, and I love going to the Village. I, just the whole thing. It's, you don't want to come to New York. Right? New York may never be the same. I know. Yeah, I know. I mean, we'll it's see tough. what happens, but it is. It it's tough, yeah. and you know, uh, ain't getting any younger. And I just want to get the most out of this life while I'm here. Me and my wife, we've right. the 51 years, you know, we're, we're trying just to awesome. get the most out of all of this. But um, you know yeah. what I'm going to do? I have a, I did my one man show for this uh, um, experience muse, it was called. And I did it from a club in, uh, um, in uh, Tarrytown called the Jazz Forum. And I have the link to that oh, and okay. everything. And I'd like to send it to you so you can check it out and see what's going on. With I it. love this. Yeah, for now, sure. I'm going to Absolutely. send it to you. And I'm going to send you, okay. send you a, a, a link for Rebecca Angel as well. Awesome. Yeah. And what we're going to do, Jason, is in this podcast episode, people can check out all your links. We're going to include all that. Oh, that's and great. Nigel does all, all that for me. Nigel's, Nigel's a, a treasure, man. I love Nigel. He's a great yeah, cat. He's a sweetheart. And uh, he's my co-producer on the series. Okay, great. So, um, yeah. So we'll make sure everybody can find you. And if people want to reach out to you, like you said, they're welcome to email you. There, there's You're on the, all the social media outlets. Um and I, I want to thank you so much because I know sure. you're a busy guy and, and not that we're busy. Dealing with all busy the... right now. Well, I know. Because, I know. You know, but, you know, but I appreciate it, I appreciate your time. Do you, do you know who Harvey <laughs> P. Carr was? I know the name. American Beauty, know. American Splendor. He, he wrote right, right, anyway, yeah. he's on the Letterman show one day and they're going to him. They're going to him. Well, you know, I mean, you're, you know, I'm sure the things are going so great for you. And I mean, all these people are trying to get a hold of you and everything. And he goes, what? What people? Who? Who's going to get a hold of me? You know? And I keep exactly. on saying, you know, well, you're know, so well, you know, well, you're so busy and everything like that. Really? Uh, who's busy? I'm not there, you know. You should you should tell my bank account. Right, exactly. Exactly. Know, well, that's a whole other story, man. You know. Hey yeah, man, know, thank you so much. I had a really nice time. You were a good cat to work with. And anytime, and I will just stay in touch and I will get, but please tell me Absolutely. when it's ready so I can go and 
spread it around and everything also. I will do that. I'll, I'll, I will tag you and we'll get, make sure that people know about it. Um, this is going to go out on all the podcast outlets and we also have our music pages. The music pages have 7 million followers. That's yeah. all music related. So right. it's definitely, uh, you'll, you'll probably be getting some emails. <laughs> so I shouldn't, uh, <laughs> so I, that's well, you know, we'll see what happens. So I, I'll just delay yeah. buying the Porsche. That's all, you know. Yeah, you might want to hold off for a month, maybe. <laughs> right. Thank you very much, exactly. you know. Well, it's, well, 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 it's, well it's, it's almost like when we were doing Luther and Stop to Love, and the yeah. song was a smash, and Nat Adderley Jr. co-wrote it with him. He goes to the bank and brings them Billboard magazine and says, here's my song. It's number one. We want to buy a house. And the banker says, yeah. well, when the money from the song comes in, come back and yeah, tell me. Exactly. We'll deal yeah, with exactly. You know I mean? <laughs> when you get your two points from the album. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which may never exist because we'll always find a way mm. to have to recoup. Exactly. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you so much. My Thank pleasure, you so man. much, Jason. Thank I appreciate you so much. it. Have a nice day, man. Awesome. Take care. You too. Awesome talking with you. Thanks for joining us and please consider subscribing to our podcast and follow us on our social media pages for guest announcements.